Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. I hope that everyone is having a wonderful week. Today, we are going to talk about the breakdown of the family and the undermining of parental rights through a few social and political movements that all of us are familiar with, but we might not be uh, familiar with the implications of that and what the consequences are for our family our families, and our children. Um, This is going to be a little bit of a contentious episode. I guess all of the episodes are a, a little bit contentious and controversial. I will try to be as straightforward yet as gentle and as loving and gracious as I possibly can. But the fact of the matter is the breakdown of the family is something that applies to us and affects us today. It affects our lives, our everyday lives. And even if you don't have children yet, uh, this still affects, even if it doesn't affect you say you will never get married, say you never want to have children, that's perfectly fine. Whatever affects the society or whatever affects the family affects the society. And so the issues that we're going to talk about today are still directly applicable to you and the people that you know. Okay. First, we're going to talk about this Wisconsin transgender uh, teacher story that maybe some of you have heard about. There is a, a transgender man. I always get confused on how to describe this. So it is a man who identifies as a woman. Apparently, he has gone back and forth between what he actually identifies as, used to identify as what is known as a cisgender man. So just a biological man, a gendered man. And then he called himself non-binary. And there was uh, some contention because he actually showed his students. He works at an elementary school in Madison, Wisconsin. He showed his students a video of him dressed up as a woman and he did kind of like a coming out a announcement video saying, hey, I'm actually non-binary, but now he is an out and proud how he describes himself um, transgender woman. And the reason why this is a conversation is not just because there is a teacher who is trans, uh, transgender. There are, I'm sure, many of those throughout the country, but because this particular man is who identifies as a woman is fighting to have access not just to the female faculty bathrooms, but the little girls' restrooms that are close to his classroom. So we're talking about five and six-year-old little girls going to the bathroom. He has has written an open letter to the Madison, the Madison Public School District saying that I need to have access to these bathrooms. And the reason why this has something to do with parental rights is because in 2018, a Madison Metropolitan School District uh, enacted a policy that allows children to change their gender identity at school without parental knowledge or consent. So this became uh, a huge controversy. And now there are parents in this school district that are suing the school district, saying that this goes against uh, parental rights. Now, parental rights constitutionally, a lot of people will argue it's not necessarily a a fundamental right. And of course, we know that there are things parents aren't allowed to do with their children uh, or to their children before the state steps in. And in a lot of ways, we're thankful for that. We're thankful that it's illegal to abuse your children. Children aren't just objects. They are people. They have uh, fundamental rights. They have the right to life, liberty, to the pursuit and to the pursuit of happiness to a certain extent while they are minors. But of course, their life and uh, their safety is protected under the Constitution. So parents, just because their parents have a child, don't have license to do whatever they want to their children, but they are seen as the primary caretaker, not the state. And that is where the Supreme Court um, has had to 
has had to battle over the past really for the, I would say century, if not longer than that, of where does uh, the parents' right end with their child and the state's right begin and rights begin. And if you look at the Supreme Court cases that have covered this, particularly when it comes to a parent versus public school, the Supreme Court typically sides with the right of the parent, that the state cannot interfere and tell a parent uh, how they should parent their child unless there is some kind of proof abuse or harm. And of course, when it comes to the transgender issue, we have seen the powers that be on the left, the powers that be in the leftist parts of the government uh, push this ideology and push this idea that a parent who does not allow a child to say you have a five-year-old daughter who says one day, you know, I'm actually a boy and I want to be called a boy name and I want to be called by boy pronouns. If a parent says, hey, sweetie, you know, God made you a girl and God made you our daughter and we think that your body was made perfectly how it was supposed to be made and we would love to talk with you about this. We would love to go see a therapist, love to go see a counselor, but let's work through this together rather than say, you know what, let's put you on puberty blockers. There are a lot of powers that be in the government, in the social sphere, in the cultural sphere, in public school districts that say that is a form of abuse. And of course, they are going to be pushing that. They're going to be pushing that idea for years to come. That is going to be um, a battle until, I don't know, something happens that swings it back in the other direction. But that is the battle that's happening at the Madison Metropolitan School District. Uh, This idea of, okay, well, this battle between a parent's rights and a state's rights, the state in this case being a public school, public schools are vessels of the state, by the way. I know that is uh, a little bit controversial to say. I get some messages from public school teachers, from people who send their kids to public school, and they think that I'm like a hater on all public schools. Uh, Of course, if you are a public school teacher, I have no doubt that you do a wonderful job and you are a light to those kids. You might be the only positive influence uh, on those kids' lives, and I'm so thankful for you. And for parents who send their kids to public school, I am sure that you have thought long and hard about this and that you are using your best discernment. But the fact of the matter is, no matter what school district that you're in, and we see this, the repercussions of this in Madison, Wisconsin, Wisconsin is that it is a vessel of the state. It is a vessel the majority of the time of leftist values. And the leftist value is something that we're going to talk about today, fundamentally wants to undermine the right of the parent to parent the child as they see fit. If how the parent wants to parent the child goes against leftist ideology, uh, particularly when it comes to gender. So these parents in Madison, Wisconsin, thank goodness they are uh, suing the school district, saying that this undermines our fundamental rights and they are already seeing one of the consequences of this policy. So the policy uh, that was enacted in 2018 in Madison, Wisconsin, that said, hey, if your six-year-old wants to come to school one day, your six-year-old boy wants to come to school one day and say, actually, I'm a girl and I want you to call me Hermione and I want you to call me by... uh, you know, uh, female pronouns, then the teacher not only has to do that, but also is allowed to deceive the parents, according to this policy in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, not tell the parents, 
that the child is doing that and actually is encouraged. These teachers are encouraged not to tell the parents that, hey, your son is actually coming to school and putting on a skirt and wants to be called female gender pronouns. The teachers are not supposed to be telling the parents these things. And so their kids are living a double life without the parents' knowledge. And the teacher is told to use the biological pronouns, the real pronouns of this child in front of the parents so the parents don't catch wind of what is going on. So that is a fundamental undermining of parental rights, which, like I said, isn't explicitly in the Constitution, but it is backed not only by common sense and history that predates the United States of America, that predates the Constitution, but is also backed by a lot of historic Supreme uh, Court support. So now this policy has led to because has led to what is happening with this male teacher saying, hey, I want to go into the girls restroom because they've already laid the foundation with this policy that says, OK, if a child has the autonomy at six years old to be able to come to school in Madison, Wisconsin and say, I'm a different gender, then of course, the parents don't have a right to say that uh, a man who decides that he's a woman, that he can't go into the spaces that other female teachers can go. Um, And so they've already laid that foundation that the parents don't have a right to say what happens to their kids at school as far as gender fluidity or gender defining goes. And of course, they don't have the right then to tell a teacher what he or she can do if he or she wants to go into a space of the opposite sex, even if the opposite sex is a child, then of course, they're going to be allowed to do that. So uh, Vika Steele is this transgender man, formerly Mark Busenbark. And I'll actually, I'll just put a picture up of this person. So if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see this. Uh, he wrote an open letter to the school district saying that he needs to use the little girl's room because he would have to walk, this is a quote, halfway down our long hallways and down to the first floor to access an adult bathroom and argues that all the female staff at the elementary school use children's bathrooms without issue. And yes, of course they do because they are women, because they're not men. Uh, this is this is the thing. Uh, we were told we just had to be accepting. We were told to be accepting of transgender people. Just let them live. Doesn't affect you. Doesn't affect your life. Just let them find happiness. Okay, fine. Uh, but now we are being told that unless we allow grown men to share a bathroom with our five and six-year-old girls, then we're bigots. Then we're wrong for that. How dare you bring up any prospect of abuse? How dare you bring up the idea of, of pedophilia? It's perfectly normal for a man who just a couple of years ago identified as a man and then a couple of years after, or uh, a year after that identified as non-binary and now is dressing up as a woman and coming to school and saying, oh yeah, I'm a woman and I'm writing an open letter demanding that you allow me not just to share the faculty bathrooms with the female teachers, but the bathrooms of five and six-year-old little girls. And you have to do that or else you're transphobic or else you are bigots. Uh, This is the kind of stuff. Now, if you're on the other side of the ideological aisle, and you're listening to this and you're like, I just don't see, I just don't see the big deal, then you might not relate to what I'm about to say. But all of you who are moms or dads uh, who are listening to this, your blood is boiling. You understand that this is the kind of stuff, this right here, that might seem not a big deal to a lot of people, to moms and dads, even if you're not a Christian, you, you, even if you're not a conservative, even if you're not on the same side of the theological and ideological aisle that I am, uh, you see the issue with this. Like you would have have a hard time seeing a grown man go into the bathroom with your uh, five or six year old little girl. Uh, So if you 
are not in that position, like if you're not a parent yet or you just don't understand my social position on this, you might not get what I'm about to say, but this is the stuff that revolutions are made of. Now, you might think I'm making a big deal of this, but uh, the rights to parental uh, or parental rights, parental consent, parental rights, guardianship, uh, whatever it is, the connection that a parent has with their child, this instinctive, innate drive that all of us have who are parents to protect our children, uh, to keep them away from harm, to keep them away from predators is so strong that things like this truly cause political upheaval. Uh, we're not doing it. We're not doing this. We're not doing this whole charade. We're just not where we pretend like gender doesn't exist to the point to where we have to say, yes, that grown man, this 56 year old man is allowed to go into the bathroom with half dressed five and six, uh, five and six year old little girls. That's totally fine. I'm sure that he has no ulterior motives whatsoever. He just wants to be accepted. He's just your average lady. Like we're just not doing that. I'm not playing that game. I'm not pretending. I I'm not going to do that just because it's politically correct, just because it's socially accepting, uh, just because it is seen as the righteous and the morally right thing to do by the powers that be. I mean, think about this. This conversation that we are having would have been it wouldn't have been even comprehensible five years ago. You wouldn't have known what I am talking about. If I had said the phrase biological male or transgender woman or transgender man, I don't even know the phraseology still. I'm so behind the times. You would have been like, I don't even know what you're saying. You would have thought that I was writing out a satirical bit to show the, um, the the insane end or the most extreme end to the LGBT movement. You would have said, yo, you're just an extremist. You're just a, this is a slippery slope fallacy, but this is actually reality. This is stuff that is affecting real people today. This is not a slippery slope. Like we've slipped down the slope. We slipped down the slope a long time ago and here we are all crashing into each other at the bottom. See, this is the problem with uh, social justice and social, by social, social justice, I mean what Thomas Sowell calls cosmic justice. So if you haven't read Thomas Sowell's Quest for Cosmic Justice, I highly recommend it. And what he says is usually what people mean by social justice is cosmic justice. So trying to even out the playing field by doing all of these uh, different equations to make things totally equal. So that's what's behind so much of leftism. That is what is behind transgenderism. That's what's behind abortion is trying to make the genders totally equal, having the same capacity, having the same characteristics. And they think having everyone be the exact same, having this just like hodgepodge amorphous blob of gender that doesn't actually mean anything, having no you know different gender roles or capacities or capabilities or anything like that is going to create equality. And so uh, the social justician or the cosmic justician says, okay, well, in order to have total equality, uh, a man has to be able to identify as a woman because then that just blurs a line between what a woman is and what a man is. And of course, this person who identifies as a woman is a real woman and they get to access every single space that a biological woman gets to access, including a space that includes five and six-year-olds little Girls, that is what it takes for equality. And if you uh, push back on that at all, then you are anti-equality, you're anti-love, you're transphobic, and all of these different things. But 
any equation or any uh, policy that is pushed, any idea that is pushed by these cosmic justicians never looks at the other side of the equation, the people who are victimized, the people who are hurt by this. So certainly not just parents, but also the children that are made uncomfortable by the fact that they know that this teacher is a man and they're having to get undressed to go to the bathroom in front of a man when a man is washing his hands. Do you think they're not uncomfortable by that? Do you think they're not a little traumatized by that? I mean, we're joking ourselves if we don't think that little kids know the difference innately between a man and a woman and that they feel uncomfortable with that. And they feel not only uncomfortable, but victimized and even traumatized by that. And so social justicians never think about the other side of the equation. It's anything that's true of anything that has to do with social justice. And so for example, decriminalizing uh, border border crossings. Well, that social justice, you're creating equality between the people who are oppressed in other countries and America, who's just so privileged. Okay. The one side of the equation is that, yeah, illegal immigrants, they get all these benefits and it's great. They basically become American citizens without actually having to become citizens, without actually having to be uh, having to wait in line. And they get away from whatever situation they were in in Guatemala or, or Mexico or wherever it was. And so that's the side of the equation that the social justicians say, yes, that's right. That's good. That's compassionate. That's just. But they never look at the other side of the equation. So who is not benefiting from that? Who is victimized by that? Who is put in harm's way by that? So the other side of the equation is that we lose sovereignty. If we lose sovereignty and the ability to enact laws and we don't have borders anymore, then we're not really a country. We can't protect our citizens, uh, not to mention the financial strain that uh, illegal immigration, we're not talking immigrants here, illegal immigration uh, puts on our country as well as the, the crimes that are committed by illegal immigrants. I'm not saying that they are worse or even more than the crimes that are committed by citizens. But if we already have crimes that are committed by citizens, we don't need to add to that by uh, adding the crimes to people who are illegally here in the first place. So all this to say social justicians who are behind this this transgender stuff in public schools, they never think about the other side of the equation. They are always trying to say, okay. Who is most marginalized? Who is most oppressed? Can we push them up while pulling back who we think is not oppressed, who we think is uh, more privileged? Because they're trying to even the playing field. They're trying to constantly find uh, even outcomes, equal outcomes, no matter what. And this is an example of that. They think, social justicians think, by pushing forward this transgender teacher, because if you're transgender, you're ultra uber marginalized on the intersectionality scale. And... Um, holding back or putting in harm's way all of these, uh, you know, cisgendered people, even children, then you are creating some form of equality. And of course, it's madness. And of course, it's craziness. And of course, we should have absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, but this is leftism. Leftism looks to not just operate by crazy intersectionality, not just uh, create equal outcomes for everyone, which equal outcomes are just impossible. They're just impossible. You can't create equal outcomes, and that's what leftism wants to do. But in an effort to do those things, it seeks to undermine the family, undermine parental rights. Why? Because if you are part of a cohesive family unit, if you are part of anything that is more uh, nuclear or is closer to you, is more intimate, is more solid than the state, then you are going to derive your values, you're going to derive your provision from your family, from your community, from your church, from your religion, uh, and not the state. And in order for leftism to survive, in order for leftism to move forward and to flourish, people have to not only be depending on the state for their health care, not only depending on the state for their 
provision, whatever it is, they also need to be depending on the state and the state's vessels like public schools for morality, for social views. And so the more dependent people can make or the state can make you on them, the more they can control you, the more they can control what they think. And look, I think that a lot of people that are on that side think that that is a virtuous effort. I think a lot of people truly think that if we can control the minds and indoctrinate the minds of children and we can normalize this behavior like men going into female bathrooms, then we really will have total equality one day. We'll have a bunch of kids that don't see anything wrong with, you know, transgenderism. We'll have a bunch of kids that think they're 72 genders and it'll all be accepting and good and we'll be loving because they see the fundamental problem um, as conservative Christians. Like they see, the left sees the fundamental problem is that there are people like you and me who believe in God, that believe in the most controversial verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth and therefore he is the moral authority all of it, over all of it. Therefore, he says what male and female is. He says what marriage is. Uh, he says what the family is. He says the importance of the family. They think that we are the enemy that is against ultimate equality. But what we know is that equality of outcome is impossible, that the family is far more important than the state, that the chil- that children belong to the family. They're not just objects or agents of the state. Um, and we also, yes, we believe that God made them male and female. And that has implications not just for gender, but also for marriage. And so they see us as the ideological enemy. And so if they can take our children away from us, indoctrinate them as much as possible by um, by indoctrinating them in the public school system or even through the YouTube videos that they watch that mom and dad aren't paying attention to, the things they watch on Hulu, on Netflix that mom and dad aren't paying attention to, then they truly see that as a, a worthy aspiration, as a, as a worthy journey, as a worthy goal. And their intentions... From their perspective, I won't say their intentions are good. I think their intentions are evil and wrong. But from their perspective, their intentions are good. Of course, they don't think that they are doing anything wrong. I want to read you um, part of this article from Vox that talks about the transgender bills that are, they call them transgender bills, that are in a variety of states trying to solidify parental rights over minors uh, rather than the state saying, hey, you can transition when you are a minor without parental consent. When you're a teenager, you can get hormone blockers, you can get surgery or whatever. Uh, Right now, in a lot of states, doctors are able to do that without parents signing on. And there are several states, Texas, uh, Kentucky, I think South Dakota, Missouri, are all trying to pass bills that say, no, hey, the parents have to have a say in this until this child is 18. But this Vox article sees this as abuse uh, because they see the child wanting to transition as um is more important than whatever the parents think. So here's how this article starts, just to kind of give us an idea of how people on this side of the aisle think. Grayson was already menstruating when he started taking puberty blockers at age 12. So when he stopped getting his period because of the drug, he was over the moon happy. So if you're confused by that, uh, it's okay. You're supposed to be. He is this author of this Vox article is talking about a young girl who now identifies as a boy. Also talks about little James Younger, the case out of Texas where the parents were divorced and the mom was trying to transition this kid into a girl and dress the kid like a girl and the 
and the uh, little boy always wanted to be a boy. He had a twin brother and he always wanted to dress like a boy. He acted like a boy and, you know, talked like a boy, was identifying as a boy when he went to school whenever he was with his dad. Well, this Vox article uh, refers to James Younger as Luna, as uh, the female pronouns, also says that the dad is trying to force this young boy to be a boy and force the young boy uh, to cut his hair. And so this is an entirely different perspective. And this is how this article in Vox describes what is uh, what's going on in these different states that are trying to pass the bills that are solidifying parental rights over their children so they don't transition without parental consent. So. Uh, The article says this, Kentucky's bill, which was introduced on Tuesday, goes well beyond those of Missouri and South Dakota. It would allow uh, it would allow either parents to override consent for transition care, a right which the state cannot overrule. It would require all government agents to disclose to parents whether a child expresses gender dysphoria or gender variant behavior. And it would protect the right of any government employee, including teachers, to express their views on gender identity, including misgendering or harassing transgender students. Additionally, any adult or minor with parent or guardian permission who had previously been given transition care would be allowed to sue doctors for damages for the next 20 years. So, I mean, to us, that sounds good. These bills that are being passed in states. I mean, I don't believe in any teacher being allowed to harass any student for any reason whatsoever. So I'm certainly not condoning harassment, but uh, these bills that are protecting teachers, that are protecting parents, we would see as a positive thing. Of course, this article sees as a negative thing. They see this as abuse. And we need to be very careful to pay attention to that kind of language because what leftism wants Again, to make sure that children are agents of the state, can be indoctrinated, can be controlled, can be uh, used for their purposes. That's why they want to break down the family once again. Uh, We need to pay attention to that language because, of course, what they want eventually, and we already see this in the UK, we already see this in Canada, they want to be able to uh, take your child by way of CPS if you do not affirm their gender identity of the day. So if you have a child who decides one day, hey, mommy, you know, I know I was born a boy, but I'm going to identify as a girl today. And like we were saying earlier, if you set them down and say, you know what, that's not that's not how God made you. God didn't make a mistake. God made your body perfectly how how they were supposed to make it. And you're a boy and we absolutely love you. Now, if you want to, yeah, let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about why you think that. Do you just think that because you liked to play with your sister dolls? That's not a reason. Do you just think that because you like dance or because you like these things? That's not a reason to be, to think that you're a girl. It's okay to be interested in those things. So You're not allowed to have that conversation. That's what they want. They want, unless you are fully affirming of your child, your child who thinks that they want jello for breakfast, like your child who yesterday told you they were, I don't know what kids like. They told you they were a dolphin yesterday. Your child is supposed to have complete autonomy over changing their gender to the point where you don't even have consent over that at all. Eventually, the left wants to be able to use that as a reason for CPS to take your child, to have your child belong to the state. That is the end game here. And so, and they also want all these policies that are enacted by public schools that affirming genders, uh, mandatory sex ed, that's something that we are seeing in California K through 12 that is fully affirming of transgenderism, fully affirming of different kinds of families that conservatives and Christians and a lot of people just aren't down with. That is mandatory K through 12, not 
just public schools, but uh, also private schools, they're trying to make it. Uh, and that is what is going to be the model for the rest of the country for the left. They would like, no matter who you are, public school, private school, homeschool, if they can find a way to do it, they would like to force you to teach them uh, the brand of sexuality that they want your kids to learn. And not just that, but probably anti-capitalism, anti-Americanism, all the stuff that we as parents, uh, at least on this side of the aisle, don't want our kids to know. But they are finding ways to be able to encroach on that parental relationship. If you remember, we talked about a while ago, there is a group called Feminism Against the Family. It's a real group. The woman who wrote this book, Full Surrogacy Now, she lives here in America, but she's not American. Of course, these people come to America and they bring their terrible ideas. There's plenty of Americans with terrible ideas too, by the way. Uh, She believes in forced uh, paid surrogacy, that children belong to themselves. And something that she said is that capitalism depends on the nuclear family. And so she believes that we should break up the nuclear family. And she believes and knows something that unfortunately a lot of conservatives don't, uh, that social conservatism, aka the belief in the family and the cohesion and the strength and the upholding of the family and economic conservatism go hand in hand and they can't be split apart. Because again, uh, we want people to depend on their families for values and provision. Even if I disagree with the principles that you are passing down to your kid, like I think it's more important that uh, you teach your kids the values that you want to teach them rather than the state. Even if the state were teaching things that I agree with and you as a parent were teaching things that I disagreed with, I would still believe that it is your right as a parent and should be your right as a parent to teach your kids the things that you want to teach them and that you should have an option not to have your child have the same sexual ed that they are uh, learning in public schools and elsewhere. But this idea that breaking down the family is integral, is uh, important to taking away people's freedom is not just true here in America. This is not a new trend. This has happened in every dictatorial regime ever to make people depend on the state. If you look at Pol Pot's Cambodia, it's a perfect example of the familial consequences of communism. Uh, They would steal children from their families to indoctrinate them and use them. They abolished family. They abolished religion or they tried to do these things. They abolished anything that could threaten a person's allegiance to the state. And of course, we know what happened there. People were slaughtered. If you haven't read about Cambodia's killing fields, you should. Uh, Here is a post, a Washington Post article from 1998. Um, As the Khmer Rouge turned society upside down, one of the most bizarre features of Pol Pot's rule was the power given to children, including preteens who had been indoctrinated in the new ideology, turned against their families, and taught to harden their hearts towards their countrymen. Sounds familiar. But soon the revolution began devouring its own children as Pol Pot launched uh, repeated purges of those he believed were plotting against him or working for his Vietnamese or American enemies. So this is communism. This is what communism tries to do, tries to break up the family to make uh, the state your parents. Uh, the breakdown of the family and communism and socialism and leftism, they all go hand in hand. Indoctrination of children is necessary to the survival of leftism. And you, parents, are getting in the way. Uh, the preservation of the family, of God-defined morality, of the church, all of these things from which people derive meaning and purpose and community and values and provision, uh, they are why we have remained free because they have given us what we need not to have to go to the government for these things. So this is also a a, a consequence and an implication 
communism and socialism and leftism thriving, that's a consequence of people staying single for longer. Now, of course, there are a lot of you out there who don't want to be single, but uh, especially the people who purposely stay single uh, for much longer than they have before, not starting families, this hyper individualism that our culture has become, that society has become also lends to this idea that we need to depend on the government, not just for our provision, but to be our moral arbiter, to save us from our purposelessness and our loneliness. And that's not what the state should ever be because it controls your life and then it ends up ruining your life. Uh, This is what Bernie Sanders and all of his ilk ultimately want to do. Now, I don't think that Bernie Sanders is Paul Pot. (laughs) Of course, I don't think that uh, he honestly has purposely bad intentions. I think that all of the ideas that he has, he honestly believes will be good for the country. But if we look at his rhetoric about the state taking care of you, the state taking over, basically nationalizing everything that can possibly be nationalized, people fully depending on the government for everything, it mirrors dictatorial regimes that have not ended well. I don't think that Bernie Sanders wants to be a dictator. I I really don't. Again, I think that he probably has somewhat pure motivations in the things that, you know, in the things that he believes. But I want to read you a quote and you can tell me who said it. Uh, Why should some people walk barefoot so that others can travel in luxurious cars? Why should some live for 35 years so that others can live for 70 years? Why should some be miserably poor so that others can be hugely rich? I speak on behalf of the children in the world who do not have a piece of bread. I speak on the behalf of the sick who have no medicine, of those whose rights to life and human human dignity have been denied. Sounds like Bernie Sanders. It's actually Fidel Castro. So the murderous dictator of Cuba who uh, tortured and imprisoned anyone who disagreed with him, who threw people in jail for being gay, who ran Cuba further into the ground, living in luxury while everyone else died in poverty, an evil person who, by the way, Bernie Sanders loves. Bernie Sanders has praise. He's never retracted his praise from Fidel Castro. And again, Bernie Sanders is not Fidel Castro, but he holds the same kind of ideas, which should show us that the ideas that Bernie Sanders holds are not just bad for the family. They're bad for everyone because they've never worked. They have always ended in suffering. They've always ended in more inequality. They've always ended in more oppression in the name of taking away oppression. And part of that, part of their movement depends on the breakdown of the family to get individuals to depend on the government, not just for provision, but also morality. And we're seeing the consequences of that in uh, the Madison the Madison School District, while parents don't have a say to say that a grown uh, man can't go into the bathroom with their five and six-year-old little girls. We're seeing it also in the push in various states uh, for minors to be able to obtain an abortion without their parents letting them know. Uh, the same thing with, I know this is very contentious to talk about, we're not even going to get into it, but also vaccines. There are parents who have legitimate uh reasons, whether they be medical, whether they be religious, not to administer at least all the vaccines to their kids. For example, a lot of people have um, contention with Gardasil, with the HPV vaccine, not only that it's not effective, but also that it has caused very real side effects for a lot of women, not just short term, but long term. But now in Iowa and in New York state, they are saying that uh, this is going to be a mandatory vaccine, no matter which school you go to, no matter what kind of school you go to, starting at age uh, 12 and that these little girls can get the Gardasil vaccine without their parents telling them. So whatever you feel about vaccines, that should probably make you feel a little bit icky that the state is encroaching that much on parental rights to be able to inject something into your child's body without you even knowing. Your child who doesn't have a developed frontal lobe won't until they're 25, can't even, you know, 
spell the word excellent without, you know, missing two letters. And they are going to make these decisions, not just about their sexuality and their gender and their, uh, you know, reproductive and having an abortion, but also about injecting things into their body. So this is leftism. This is part of the reason why we have to be so vigilant against it and make sure that we are teaching our kids from day one the values that we want them to know because we don't know how long we're going to be able and free to do that. And also, don't vote for Bernie Sanders. Okay, that's all we have time for today. I hope you guys have a a wonderful day. We will be back here on Friday with Felicia Masonheimer. I'm so excited about this interview. You are going to love it. I will see you then. 